You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. What a good-looking group. Not as good-looking as Statesville, but uh, good-looking nonetheless. So uh, Easy. It's a joke. So it's meant to be funny. So um, thrilled to be here. Uh, just thrilled what God is doing uh, in Statesville, but I'm thrilled to be here. Um, actually, it's kind of a, today's a fun day for Statesville. It's the one-year anniversary of, of us being in the building that we're in. Um, and so just really, really, uh, in fact, they got cake and stuff today to celebrate, and uh, so Pastor Farrell gets to uh, uh, enjoy that. On behalf of all the people of Statesville in our congregation of our campus, I, I, I want to say thank you. Um, here, here's the reality. We are not large enough yet to be in the building that we're in. We're in there because of your generosity and your faithfulness. Because you give, they, the, we have been given a chance to actually s- succeed in a very healthy way. So thank you for that. What's interesting um, is that when we, we started the capital campaign here last fall, some of the comments I heard were, man, you're going to have a tough time in Statesville because there's no real direct benefit to the people up there. I mean, you obviously can see what's happening here. East Lincoln is getting a new building, but there's nothing specific happening directly in Statesville. And I remember, remember this, I remember looking at him and I said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, Our, I said, we of all the campuses get what it means to be one church, three campuses. We're in our building because you guys give. And I, and I even went so far as to say, listen, Statesville will have the highest participation rate in this capital campaign among all three campuses because we get it. We benefit because of what your generosity. We're thrilled that we get to be a part and help you do what we feel God has called the other campuses to do as well. So we're thrilled to be a part of that. Um, we're really excited about what God is doing. And uh, we're, we're, I know Betsy and I are, are, are really happy to be here back today. We've been attending uh, Grace Covenant for a little more than seven years now. Um, and and it's, it's interesting is that because Betsy was on staff here, um, I've only been on staff since June 1. So it's, it's only been uh, less than a year, coming up in a year. But so around here, and we actually attended this service. We actually sat right around there usually. Um, but... Uh, Around here, I'm not known as Sam, the campus pastor. I'm known as Sam. Actually, I'm not even known as Sam. I'm just that guy, Betsy's husband, um, is, is my reputation. So, um, and I'm very happy to ride her proverbial coattails. Um, those of you who know both of us will agree that she is by far the better part of us. Um, so, really. <laughs> our life group. Okay. Um, so those of you who've been here for a few uh, weeks will know that we're in a series that we've called Toxic. Uh, we start with Toxic Thoughts, Toxic Influences, Toxic Religion last week. Today we're going to finish up this series with this idea of Toxic Words. Um, and so my, my launching point uh, from the scriptures actually comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 13. Uh, first four verses. Uh, so if you have uh, in your Bible or whatever electronic device you're using, we're actually going to put it up on the screen as well. Um, now I'm going to ask that you, we could read it together. There's only four verses, so it's not long. Um, so would you join me in reading uh, from Psalm chapter 13? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Lord God, that we have the benefit of reading and understanding of what's transpired in history with other people, and we get the benefit from that, learn from them. And so, Lord, as we uh, explore a little bit more of these words of David, help us to uh, better understand what they mean for us today and how we are to live our lives uh, day to day. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, um, I had shoulder surgery, and uh, they actually there was they made three small incisions, about a half inch long, one in the front, one in the side, and one in the back. And um, the you know the doctor said you know after three days you can get in and take a shower. They wanted they wanted this, the wounds, the incisions to actually have time to heal, which makes sense. And so, but by third day three, you're, any of you have had surgery before, it's like you're ready to get in there and take a shower and and just feel uh, cleaner again and. Well, a couple things that they literally could have just put three Band-Aids on those three incisions. Instead, they crafted this huge gauze pad thing. I, I literally looked like the hunchback of Notre Dame. It was this big thing. And so anyways, day three comes and I'm in the bathroom and I was like, all right, I'm ready to get this thing off and, and take a shower. And I quickly discovered two things. One, the adhesive that was on the, the tape was incredibly aggressive. <laughs> it just wasn't coming off. Two, they didn't bother to shave my chest. <laughs> exactly. You get this. So, all right. Hold on here. Let me, let me, let me. So here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not hairy by any definition of that, that term, but I have enough hair to know I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble here. And so I, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm, it's funny, I'm actually doing it now. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm holding, you know, I got one hand, you know, and I got, and so I was able to manage to get the back of it off, and so it's kind of this flap, and then again, it's attached here, and, but, but I couldn't cut it because I have to hold it to cut, you know, so I was gonna cut it off and just work on that part in the shower, and I needed help. So I call my wife, Betsy. <clears throat> And I said, hey, come here. I want you to hold this. Again, this big flap. You know, it's, it's a big thing. Hold it while I cut this, and I'm going to work on it in the shower. And she says, well, why don't you just rip it off? One big thing. <laughs> and, and I'm like, please, Lord, no. Um, and I explained to her, you know, chesters are very sensitive. This is very painful. Please just hold it. Let me do it. So, so she's holding it, and, you know, what happened next literally happened within a second, maybe two, but it is so vividly etched in my mind. It's as if time stood still or, or went into this super, super, super slow motion. Because I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to cut and I look up and I notice the expression on her face change. You ever, you ever watch somebody when they're trying to figure something out? You know, they're like, they're analyzing it, and their brows furrowed, and, you know, just, and that, she was doing that, and all of a sudden it went to, 
And the expression was, I've made a decision. <laughs> and I knew the decision. But before I could do anything, before I could say anything, she pulled down in that bandage as hard as she could. I screamed. It was so painful. But here, here's what, again, this is happening so fast, but, but it's just so vivid in my memory. It wasn't just the pain that was troubling me. It was the sense of betrayal. <laughs> How could she do this to me? This is a woman who, who took a, a, a wedding vow to honor and love, and, and uh, none of that was on display here at this moment. And so I'm, I'm, I'm in pain. I'm feeling this sense of betrayal. And then to my horror, I discovered the bandage was still attached. <laughs> Again, before I could say or do anything, she pulled down again a second time as hard as she could. Um, and this time it came off and there was this big V in my chest where the, the adhesive you know, was all red and I had all these dots of blood where hair used to be. Um, here's, the, here's the thing, that this pain and this sense of betrayal... Um, weren't even the most troubling parts of this incident. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to tell this story. You know, it's come out as, as these things go. In no instance, never, not once, has any woman ever said to Betsy, that was a terrible thing to do. <laughs> Why would you do that to your husband? How could you do that? That's a mean, mean thing. To a person, she gets comments like this. Way to go. <laughs> Or, if I ever have a chance like that, I'm pulling it too. <laughs> or they say, that was so great. I'm so glad. And Men, if you're sitting here next to your wife, or your fiancé, a girlfriend, or just any woman, um, and they look at you and they're smiling, and they look so sweet and precious and demure, and don't buy it for a second. <laughs> I promise you, first chance she gets, she'll rip the hair right out of your chest. <laughs> Do you ever notice that it's you, the people closest to us who usually cause us the most pain? And the most hurtful, damaging experiences in life aren't even always physical, are they? I mean, let's be honest except for some short-term trust issues that we had to work out, um, there were really no long-term effects of, what, of Betsy's actions. I mean, the hair grew back. I didn't even have any scars to prove my story. But um, contrast that with the life-altering, devastating consequences some of us have had to endure because of the words someone has spoken to us. Some of the most painful, hurtful experiences in our life came from the words of others. Some of us have had our lives altered in drastic ways as a result of the words spoken to us. Words like, why do you even bother? You're such a loser. Go away, you freak. You'll never amount to anything. Why aren't you married yet? You're such a disappointment. I don't love you anymore. Words can devastate us. This feeling of devastation is what David was feeling in the verses we just read. 
Remember, Psalms is a collection of diary entries. It's, it's David's diary, actually. Um, or in today's, it's, a, it's his blog. It's David's blog. We get to read 2,000 years later. And he makes posts. He makes entries. And, you know, he just might be feeling really good. And he'll write some things down and praising God. And there's other times where you can tell something has happened in his life. And he's reflecting on it and writing about it. And that's what's happening in Psalm chapter 13. Unfortunately, he doesn't really tell us what specifically is going on there. But as I'm looking at David's life and history, there's a season of his life that really fits. And it's around 1 Samuel chapter 19, 20, 21, 22. It's in that time period. And what's going on here, David has been anointed king of Israel by Samuel. But Saul is still in place as king. In fact, David is working for Saul. He's serving Saul in the, um, the palace, if you will. <clears throat> Saul, because of his jealousy, begins to make accusations against David. Accuses him of, of treasonous actions, of betrayal, of all these things to the point where he, he literally tries to take David's life multiple times. And because of Saul's words, because of his accusations, and because of his actions, David has to flee. David flees, actually, was really ironic. He flees to one of the, the enemy neighbor tribal groups around the area. To the, it's actually the, the, the king of Gath. It says he goes to the king of Gath. Again, enemies of Israel, but for him, that's how bad things were in Israel. He had to go there. But even when he was there, people started speaking badly about him and saying to the king, you can't trust David, you need to get rid of him. So every time he turned around, people were saying things about him and accusing him of things that he hadn't done, had no intention of doing, but it was still what was happening. David finds himself running on the run in some of the most desolate regions on earth. That southern part of Israel, those of you who have been on the Israel teams and trips, it's in the Dead Sea area. It's in, it's in that area where there's nothing but sand and rock and it's just hot and miserable. David finds himself, the anointed king of Israel, hiding on the run in caves. And that's his life. He was dejected, he was demoralized with very little hope, largely because of the words spoken by other people. You know that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? It's one of the biggest lies ever concocted. We're in this series called toxic, which means anything containing poisonous material capable of causing serious sickness or even death. Within our context today, toxic words then are words that can crush one's spirit. They can destroy relationships and cause people to act in ways detrimental to their own well-being. So here's the thing, though. There is both good and bad use of words, isn't there? Just as words can destroy lives, words can give health and wholeness and actually give life uh, to our souls. Look at the verses uh, we've, we've read there in Proverbs chapter 12. Look at the contrast here. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 13 says, those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. In Proverbs 15, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Just the contrast we see, both good and bad. In Proverbs 18, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. 
There's both good and bad use of our words. So then, how should we think about this idea of toxic words? A few thoughts. One, guard your heart against toxic words. Proverbs 4 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So what's the danger? What is this what happens with toxic words? What makes them toxic? What I've observed, toxic words tend to reinforce our own insecurities. We feel insecure about something and someone says something to us and it makes us go, huh, you know what? You're probably right. And that poison, those words become part of how we begin to think. We believe there's an element of truth to them and we start living our life as if they are true. Maybe I am a loser. Maybe I am an airhead. Maybe I will never amount to anything. Maybe I'm not worthy of love. <clears throat> to illustrate this, let me, I have a, a, a description, a profile, if you will, of a person. If I could have that put on the screen. So here's person A. Person A has significant influence within their organization. They have earned three advanced degrees. They've been in 31 countries. They drive a Cadillac. They lead an organization with a bright future. So without knowing anything more about them, and I'm not looking for feedback here, just in your own thoughts, what, how would you perceive this person? How would you talk to this person? What kind of questions do we ask them? What is your impression of this person? Okay? <clears throat> Let's go to person B. Person B has had more than one season of unemployment, was not accepted into a university, does not like to fly, drives a 14-year-old car, and led an organization that no longer exists. Quite the contrast, isn't there? What are your thoughts about this person? How would you approach them? What would you think, and how would you talk to them, and what would that, how would that relational dynamic look like? What if I were to tell you that these were the same person? They are. It's actually me. So, I'm the campus pastor in Stagesville. I am so, we got a really, really bright future. One of the previous churches I pastored back in the day merged with another. That particular church doesn't exist uh, anymore. Actually, that's the last one. Um, but I have had, so, I'm, um, so I am a campus pastor in Stagesville, but I have had, over the course of years, there have been times where it's like, God, what's next? What's happening now? And uh, I, I do have uh, three advanced degrees. Uh, for one of them, I was not accepted. I was turned down. A fantastic story about so many times in life where we, this, something doesn't go the way we want it to or don't think. And so we're trying to decide, is this God closing a door or is this a hurdle to get over? And that is the million-dollar question. A lot of life is, how do I... That was one of just how we walked through that. Just, you know what, this is not a closed door. This is a hurdle we need to get over. Um, and it's, a, it's a fantastic story um, about what God did for me to get in there. I have been in 31 countries. I, uh, for, uh, one of my prior roles uh, in a different church was as a missions pastor. In addition to, to sending missionaries, our big thing was developing partnerships with indigenous institutions in developing countries. And so I got to manage that. I got to see a lot of the world and see some amazing things God is doing around the world. I hate to fly. I just, uh, there's, there's some stories about this, but uh, um, this is not, uh, not something I enjoy doing. Um, I do drive a Cadillac. It is 14 years old. <laughs> um, 
And it was uh, when we moved down here, shortly after we moved down here, being near my wife's parents, her father could no longer drive, and he gave it to Betsy. Um, so I'm like, yeah, I'm driving a Cadillac, really? So I wanted to go trade it in to see if they were going to give me, like, peanuts. It's like, wait a minute, I've got this Cadillac. Um, and at this point in time, I had only 80,000 miles on it. My father-in-law kept it in mint condition. says, why not drive it? And uh, I love it. It's like riding on air. It's a, it's a great thing. And I, I have no car payment. So uh, um, I drive a Cadillac, but it is 14 years old. Um, and again, the, the church I said I pastored a while ago isn't uh, even in existence today. So what's my point in, uh, in sharing that? Many of us have more than one narrative playing out in our life, quite often at the same time. Sometimes, like me, um, our lives are being played out simultaneously. Sometimes for others, it's, it's a before Jesus was my life, and then after Jesus is another life, and we have those two stories. But I guess my point is this. We have a choice for which of these stories we're going to allow to define us. Don't let the toxic words of others determine the narrative of your life. I probably get a lot of this from my dad. Uh, He grew up in the home of immigrants. He was a first-generation American, and uh, he was a high school dropout, didn't finish high school. Um, And yet, uh, he owned his first business by the time he was 18. Uh, His goal was to retire a millionaire by the age of 45, and he was well on his way to getting there until about midway through his 20s, felt a call to ministry. Walked away from it all, went to Bible school, um, turned around three churches during my growing up years. Clearly there was was this sense of he had some God-given ability. There were some things that were there, obviously. But I'm convinced that none of this, none of the things he was able to do in his life would have been accomplished had he listened to what others thought about him. Remember him telling me on multiple occasions, he said, said, Sam, I was never properly trained for any job I ever had. But I didn't let the words or expectations of others determine what I thought I could do or not do. You can't control what others say. You can control what you believe. Second thought about toxic words is this. Speak life-giving words to others every chance you get. Ephesians 4.29 tells us that do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. Hold back toxic words you might speak. Sometimes the verbal barbs we give one another have this cumulative effect. It may not be toxic and it, you know, it destroys, you know, sometimes you take a poison and it's instant death. Other times it's an accumulation over time, over time, over time until you don't even recognize what had happened. Our words can have that effect. Um, you know, Betsy and I, um, our first few years of marriage, we had what we called, um, creative conflict. Or you have an argument and it's like, as you're talking it through, he's like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. And so you learn something about the other person. And so you try not to do that, and you, you adapt. And so that's why I call it creative conflict. After 35, 35 plus years now, we just fight. 
<laughs> I know it bugs you. I just don't care. Um, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. But I notice that sometimes we can come really careless with our words, and we throw that little, that little comment on at the end of a conversation, that little barb that just lets you have the last word, but it just doesn't help the situation at all. Sometimes those verbal barbs, again, just they have this accumulative effect. Um, in Statesville, um, a couple of months ago, I walked in the kitchen area, and I just there was an odor in there, and it didn't smell good. And so I, you know, I looked around briefly, and I couldn't see anything. And so I mentioned to someone else, and they said, "Yeah, I noticed that too. I can't find anything." And so we, didn't, we just, all right, well, and. and Come back the next week, and we didn't notice it. But then a couple weeks later, we noticed again, but even a little stronger. And oh man, did, um, you know, we've t- by this time we've taken out all the cab, the, the every stuff from the cabinets. We've pulled out everything. We pulled the refrigerator. I mean, we've looked through everything, trying to find where's this smell coming from. We couldn't find anything. I'm, I'm up even standing on the counters into the ceiling tiles, looking to see if you know maybe some mouse died up there or something, and we can't find anything. <clears throat> and we talked to the contractor who did the renovation work. And we learned that there was, in the kitchen area, there, was a, there used to be a washer. And so those of you who are familiar with, with washers know that there's the two um, um, valves for the water coming in. There's also a drainage pipe that has a trap in it. Well, the person who did the renovating, when they put the cabinets in, they didn't bother to plug the drainage pipe. They just put a backsplash against the back of it. So over time, what had happened is the water that was in that trap was evaporating. And so the sewer gas was beginning to seep up a little bit at first. But as more water, more water, eight months later, the gap, the airflow began, and all of a sudden it was really bad. That's what toxic works can do. You may not notice it right away. It may take a long time, but when it starts to emerge, it can get really bad really fast. Be the person who speaks life to others, especially in the home. Um, our youngest, we have three adult children, none of whom live close to us, much to our dismay. Uh, two boys in Pittsburgh, our daughter and her husband are in Boston. Anyways, uh, Peter, our youngest, this is when he was eight years old. Uh, one of these days I was just feeling particularly paternal. And, you know, so I grabbed him, gave him a hug, and I go, Pete, I love you. I said, if I could pick any eight-year-old boy in the whole world, I'd pick you. And uh, he go, oh, you have to say that. You're my dad. <clears throat> and so I set him down. I look him I get down at his level, and I get squares. You know, I said, Pete, no, 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 you got to understand this. You line up all the eight-year-old boys in the whole world. Line them all up. And I could pick anyone to be my son. I'm going to pick you. And he gets his little smile and runs off. He doesn't do affirmation well. To this day, he still doesn't do affirmation well. But it's those kinds of things that we're just we're doing with the people we love, the people we care about, words of life, words of hope, words of expectation that, that help them get better at who they are to be what God has called them and, uh, to do and to be. So we talked about guard your heart against toxic words. Speak life-giving words to others every chance you get. My third thought is this. Speak life-giving words to yourself and to your circumstances. One of the dangers of toxic words from others comes as we begin to accept them as our own. Their toxic words become our toxic thoughts, which is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. 
You might be here this morning feeling just like David. Dejected, defeated, devastated by the words someone has spoken to you. You may even feel like you're wandering around in your own personal wilderness, hiding in the back of a cave, lost and without hope. Here's what I've discovered. God does some of his best work in the back of caves. You can hear the effect of the toxins of David's words in the verses 1 through 4. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I have sorrow in my heart? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, or I will die. My foes will rejoice when I fall. David was defeated. He was done. The words from others had become his own. But then something happened to him. I don't know if you notice this, but Psalm 13 doesn't end with verse 4. There's two more verses that come right after what we read, verses 5 and 6. David says this, and after he said all these things, he says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Um, when uh, our, our, we were, whenever we have our, our kids, whenever they have their first birthday party, um, we made it a big deal. And Betsy had this scrapbook, and it was always a big deal for the first birthday party. Well, our daughter, Sarah, was, uh, she was preemie. She was born 10 weeks early, was in the hospital for six weeks. It was, it was emotionally traumatic that whole season. Perfectly fine. Everything was great, but it was a season of life that was very hard. So Betsy, for her first birthday, she's putting together this album, this photo album and stuff, and she's reliving all these emotions, and we're talking about it, reliving all this about Sarah. And uh, it was either the day before Sarah's birthday or on Sarah's birthday, we find out that we're expecting number three. It was really upsetting to us, not because we didn't want another child, but because of all the emotions of what we'd just been experiencing with the last one. Knowing that my job was about to end with the school where I was at, and all those fears, all those insecurities. And I remember uh, calling my mom. We're talking to my parents, and uh, my mom got on the phone. My mom's not known for words of wisdom. She's not, she's not the vocal one in the family. But I'm just commiserating with her, sharing her all these things that we're feeling, and just, just such a hard season of life. And, and there's a little pause, and she says, Huh, this must be one special baby for God to bring him into your life at this time. Huh. Well, if you put it like that, those few words changed everything. Everything for us changed simply because we just did that little bit of our perspective. And that was enough. So I have to wonder what happened to David here between verse 4 and verse 5. We don't know. We don't, David doesn't tell us what transpired, whether someone said something to him, or maybe he was just able to take a step back emotionally and say, you know what? I've been here before. God, you're okay. You're going to do this. I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to let my circumstances dictate how I feel. I'm not going to let the words of other people dictate how I approach these things. I've learned that the antidote to toxic words is the realization that the only words about you that matter come from God. You are who God says you are. God looks at you just like I looked at my son Peter and he says, I picked you. And if I had it to do all over again, I'd pick you again. I love you that much. 
When we can fully embrace God's words about us, everything changes. Our circumstances no longer define us. The words of others no longer affect us. So I have to ask you this question. What toxic words have you accepted as truth in your life? Has it eroded your confidence? It's it's stolen your joy? It's even denied you hope for a future. I love this saying, don't talk to God about your mountains. Tell your mountains about God. I am who God says I am. I have been bought with the price. I am a child of the king. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am no longer bound by sin. God can change me. These become the words by which we live our life. These become the words by which we move into our futures. We don't have to be burdened down and held into those prisons by the words of others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, uh, as we've just seen David go through a very difficult time and, and wrestling with the words that were, have been spoken to him and the accusations and falsehoods, things that weren't true, and just it devastated his life. But he was able to come to a point where he said, God, it doesn't matter. These are not the things that define me. It's you in whom I hope. It's in you that I put my trust. So, Father, my heart goes to those here this morning who might have been devastated by the words of someone maybe even decades ago when they were a little child, but it's affected them almost every day since then. Father, may this be their day to break free of that bondage. May this be the day that they become free of that struggle. Father, may the words of life, may words of hope, may words of love and affirmation become the words that define who they are and how they see themselves this day. Father, likewise, may we be the kind of people who are life givers when it comes to the words we use. Lord, whether it's co-workers, family members, friends, neighbors, may we be known, may our reputation be as one who gives life, one who encourages, one who supports, one who's positive. Lord, that in our words, people would find you. So, Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your strength, for courage, for boldness, for wisdom, discernment. Lord, we want it all. Father, we ask for your favor when it comes to this area of of words. And, Lord, Father, we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.